Welcome to the Women's Rugby Pod. Yes, we're back. Gotta apologise about being away for the last few weeks. Sometimes you just gotta step back, take a break, take in some oxygen. It's not just thrown together this rugby pod. But we're back with all your news from around the world of women's rugby. Coming up on the show, it's Six Nations time. We talk about Ireland squad, Red Roses squad as well. Simon Middleton, we speak to him, his last Six Nations. We've got news about pretenders to his job as well. Interpros, Celtic Cup, Coaches Merigrand, Rogan Australia as well, with Jilly Collins, head of rugby over there, as they announce contracts. And of course, the big Lions debate. But I'm joined by a very special guest. It's always a pleasure to welcome Ali Donnelly onto the WRP Scrum Queen herself. Ali, we've got a load to kind of round up on, on this pod, having uh, been away for a, a few weeks and no better person, but far more importantly, uh, how are you? How's things? You're changing jobs. I am. I'm on the cusp of joining the world of motorsport and a new role getting trying to get women into Formula One, which will be great fun. I think there's probably plenty of connections and similarities between the world of rugby and the world of motorsport so yeah I'll, I'll come back in a few months and tell you all about it hopefully awesome i'm loving the fact that you're saying fun um we'll ask you in a few <laughs> weeks time whether that's still still the case but um anyway look let's just get just straight into it um there's there's loads to get into but we're going to start with this news this week the lions after a feasibility study um we are a slight step closer to having a women's lions tour. Um, it's even more, more, more likely. Um, I think we're finding out things that you and I probably already know, but your initial thoughts is another positive step, but let's just get it on. Shall we? Um, I don't know. So I think the, the thing to remember is that this conversation has been going on for about 20 years. Genuinely. Yep. It's not an exaggeration. We've been talking about this for a long time. I think my starting point on this is the same always and has been for that length of time, which is if the Lions didn't exist as a thing, we would never realistically invent it for the women's game. And I think that's it's hard to get to get away from that. I think even when you romanticize about the Lions, the tour, the brand, the DVDs and all the rest of it, it it isn't something we would come up with right now for women's rugby. I I think you've got to remember that. Um, But given the discussion never goes away. I think this week I was I was kind of asking myself two questions. And one is, what is the point of a women's Lions tour? And I guess the answer for me was, well, there's, there's two reasons you would launch an international women's series, isn't there? One, one might be performance related. So is this competition going to develop the women's game? That's the rationale behind, say, the WXV. Um, but the Lions would feature presumably teams who have been playing a fairly decent amount of elite rugby. So I'm not really sure that's the point. So the only other reason would be probably to make some money and then reap the benefit to the profile and visibility you'd get from that. And I think that's probably what Royal London are talking about when they say that this is feasible. Um, But just because something is feasible doesn't mean it should happen. And I think, you know, I could probably talk, you know, to this for 10 or 20 minutes and I'll save us the, the, the pain of that. But, you know, the women's game, I'd say it's already a game of haves and have nots. And, you know, we've seen that play out in the men's game and it's not perfect. So I think we should do our own thing. I think we should probably step back and remember that the women's game is just in the midst of developing a global calendar. The men's game hasn't managed that and it wishes it had. I think there are a lot of people that lament the fact that the game went too far before the men uh, could could arrange around that. So I'd rather not see something thrown into the calendar before we've gotten to that point 
um, without really kind of stepping back and thinking, what's the long term future for the women's game? So I'm not pro women's lines tour. That, that said, if it happened, for sure, I'd watch it. <laughs> so take from that what you will. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree. I'm 100% behind it. But not 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 particularly now because wh- where are you going to tour? Where, where's going to, as you say, going to be competitive? Because that's the essence of sport, right? Is being competitive. So you could go to New Zealand and play the Alpiki sides and then tests. I mean that you know that 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 would be re- reasonably competitive. But but outside of it, where are you then going to go? What tour around France? It doesn't have the same quite the same feel. I almost like a Northern Hemisphere against Southern Hemisphere kind of. Uh, game or a sort of four quarters of, of the world game uh, and do something sli- slightly different. But, um, geez, if you're going to put a large tour on, yeah, well, you and I will both be be, be front row. Um, but but taking devil's advocate, then I mentioned New Zealand. Is it only because that would be that's okay? But then where do you go next? As to yeah, so it's resistance. my understanding they, they they looked at three uh or three options: New Zealand, France, and then a North America combined. Yeah, Australia, Canada, Canada, and, USA. Yeah, yeah, and it looks like they landed on you know New Zealand being a feasible option, presumably even more so after the World Cup, which did so well in terms of ticket sales. But I think I've got John Birch his words here ringing in my ear because he's very vehemently anti <laughs> and he what he you know he and I. Uh, run the website together disagree about lots in a very in a very friendly constructive way but he is right about his core argument is that the lines is actually a closed shop for the circle of the haves you know and if you think about the women's game England Wales Scotland Ireland they already have access to a closed competition the Six Nations which so many other teams look at in envy if you talk to any Canadian player USA player they they would love a competition of that credibility and that profile so I just I think you know surely we want to build ourselves beyond making the top six even better from the get-go and, and not look back and regret it so um yeah I mean if, if they do it maybe they'll they'll start in New Zealand and you know play it by ear I can't see anything happening this side of a World Cup would have to be later end of this decade I think I'd love to meet Royal London and say, um, if you've got money to spend in women's rugby, there's a whole other load of places you could do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Here's some ideas for you. Yeah, great. Yeah, but you look, it's an attractive proposition for lots of reasons. And I always sort of smile because the, the players, obviously, who would love to play in it or who would love to have played in it will come out and say, this is amazing. And then it's hard to start pulling back from that. So, um, yeah, it's a really interesting debate. and But it has been going on forever. Yeah, a, a long, long time, and I'm very happy to, to have the conversation about it because it just keeps that chatter going, doesn't it? And it and it's and it's something else. But again, we we've got to be very, very careful not to just mirror the men's game. Um, let's move into to England. Um, I've just was back from from Twickenham. Um, Sam Middleton announced his final Six Nations squad. We'll, we'll get into to, to England sort of coaching as we're looking back over the last few weeks, but. 42-player squad, bigger than he would have liked. He's got a fair few injuries in there. Um, the headlines of those were obviously would be Emily Scarrett. Abby mm-hmm. Warbur, their pregnancy. Vicky Cornbury's uh, away as well. Um, and, of course, Zoe Harrison um, injured. Uh, Maud Muir has a broken hand from the weekend as well. Uh, what did you make of that uh, that that squad with Hacker and Hunter co-captains? Yeah, it's. A, I mean, it's an exciting squad in a way because there are uh, such a host of new players coming in. You obviously never want to see players injured from a you know personal and, and a playing perspective, but from an England 
point of view. Like if you're going to get injuries to some key positions, which they have, particularly the 10 shirt, then, you know, getting those injuries at the start of a World Cup cycle, not the worst time in the world um, because obviously it gives them an opportunity with the pressure off a little bit. And I feel like in, in a way the pressure is off them, the Six Nations. It's the last Six Nations of this coaching team. Um, there are players there who've already said, Sarah Hunter is one of them, that they won't be here for the rest of this World Cup cycle. So, it, yeah, it's an interesting squad. There's a couple of players I'm excited to see who I haven't seen much of. Lizzie Duffy is one of them. I um, was texting Claire Thomas earlier, who is, is a connoisseur of, of Premier 15's rugby, and she's very excited about her. And, you know, that's a player who wouldn't have got her a chance yet, you'd imagine, as a young 10, 15 um, so yeah, it's an exciting squad. It's it's obviously a very odd situation, and we should recognise that it is strange that the coaching team is largely continuing on till the end of this competition. I, I find that still to be odd. I know there are lots of reasons for that, but um, I wonder how the players are adjusting to that because, of course, this is this is a playing style, and maybe they will evolve that. And you spoke to him today, so maybe he talked to that. But it's a playing style of a of a coaching team who are leading largely so I think I think that's interesting and so for that reason I- I'm kind of fascinated to see how England play and if it's different to how they played at the World Cup yeah absolutely I mean you, you mentioned Elizabeth Duffy from Sale um Chelsea Clifford May Campbell get their chances from Sarah's or May Campbell has been outstanding for, for year upon year uh and young fire officer exes Nancy McGillivray uh, as well and and Ellie Rugman is where Returning players, the likes of Bryony Cleal, is going to help because of those injuries. Hannah Bottom is another injury as well, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah Beckett returns, Amber Reid, and Mo Hunt uh, returns, who we spoke about in great detail. And Scout and Ward are going to help out sort of delivering the, the coaching and so they're not losing that. Because you think about that leadership group, Zoe Harrison's at Ward's Scout, you know, Vicky uh, Cormer's a, a senior player w- within that as well. So I think that's a that's a, a good move and just help that transition, uh, I think. But look, we can talk about it all we like. Let's uh, let's hear from Simon Middleton. I'm, I went up to, up to Twickenham earlier on today to speak to Simon Middleton on one of his last Six Nations campaign with the Red Roses. And I'm going to going to start here because that's your last ever squad announcement for a, a Six Nations. Where are your emotions right now? <laughs> Probably invested in thinking about how we're going to develop that squad because uh, it's a very young squad, it's quite an inexperienced squad. Uh, some senior players obviously still within it, still lots of quality in it, but we've been very much focused over the last three or four weeks of uh, putting the squad together and then thinking about how best to develop it in a, in a short period of time before we play Scotland. Yeah, we'll go into the squad in a second. My question was about you personally. Because it, 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 can't be, it can't be, and I know this was always the plan to get some continuity post-World Cup, but that, that, that World Cup cycle is obviously shortened. Uh, you know you're going, you know Scott Beeman's going as well. How are you? How are you facing that 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 challenge of clearly clearly mixed emotions? Yeah, to, to be honest, Johnny, it, I, I, I I'm not. I don't got mixed emotions. We're not. No, I haven't. I honestly haven't. I'm really comfortable with the decision I've made. I have made the right yeah. decision. Uh, be backed to the hilt. While I've been in the job, I've been back to the hilt with the decision. Uh, I feel way better now I've made the decision. Yeah. Uh, and what that allows me to do is concentrate on what I get paid to do, which is get a, a win inside on the field. So I am, I'm massively looking forward to the competition. I, I really want us to do well. 
you know, really wants to do well because uh, we got, we're going to have some fantastic crowds and we want to provide some real entertainment uh, and we want to be successful and, and it, there'd be nothing better than having it culminate with a great game against France in, in, in front of a massive crowd at, at Twickenham but there's a lot of water that's going to, going to go under the bridge before then and, you know, it's the oldest adage in the book but if you look too far forward, you're going to get bit. So we're just really looking. I tell you, we're looking no further forward than next week's camp at St George's Park. Yeah. Well, let's look into that 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 squad then. Um, plenty plenty of young names, but but I suspect that the headlines in terms of lots of familiar names, lots of players players returning. We don't need to deep dive into every single name, but obviously fly half Zoe Harrison out now for the rest of the season. Um, where where are you thinking there, and what youngsters are? are are in that mix for that that starting or even a bench bench place at ten? Uh, well, I mean, the, the, the first thing is how are we going to fill, fill that role? Uh, we'd already started discussions way back with with Holly about having a look at. So we were always going to look at Holly in the in the Six Nations at ten anyway, just to see what the dynamic looks like. Because uh, you've got you got Zoe who's just got a fantastic structured game and, and you know built around you know a great kicking game the best kicking game in the world by a mile and then you've got Eleanor who's got a great attacking game and, and a good kicking game but then you've got Holly who probably sits in the middle of both of those she can kick she can read the game she's got great distribution skill but she's a good attacking threat as well so we wanted to we wanted to create opportunities for Holly to to play at 10 and I always look at Holly anyway uh, probably not to this degree. We would have liked it a little bit more on our terms. It's it's not really now. Uh, so, you know, we've got we've got Ollie as our front line ten. Uh, we can underpin that with some young players uh, or a young player. We've got Lizzie Duffy, who's who's been progressing really well uh, at, at Sale, but she's again she's been playing 15 quite a bit rather than than 10. So we'll we'll see we'll see what that looks like. Uh, again, really important that we we make sure we we. We nurture those players properly within the environment, uh, but then we've got you know we've got Amber Reid who's, who's played a lot of ten for Bristol, played ten for England. You know when we won the first Grand Slam in Ireland, actually changed her to ten at half time, if I remember rightly, and that changed the course of the game. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely on that wonderful <laughs> night in uh, yep. yeah yeah in Dublin. Well, uh, so uh, so we've got options. You know we've got options and and. You, you, you look. You can pick your way through the squad, and we, you know, we obviously we got some some big names missing, but we got a great opportunity to develop some some players and look at some players it, as it comes sooner than we would have liked for for some of them. Yeah, absolutely, it has. But it's here, so let's deal with it, and and uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how we go. And if we're, we're looking um, sort of slightly further forward, a little bit thin on the ground. Especially uh, uh, loose head. Vicky Cornbra not involved in the squad. Had Bottomans injured. Um, wh- where are we going there? Yeah, again, you know, we uh, we we were fortunate in that we've got a couple of players who can who can play across. Uh, one of them is Maud Muir, but then Maud's inju- been injured at the weekend. Maud's got a broken hand. Uh, she's going to be out for at least the first two, three. Games, maybe, maybe more. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we got Taisha Harper, who's you know been in and around the camp uh, an awful lot. Played, came out to the World Cup, didn't feature, but still came out to the World Cup. It was great when she came out. It really, really added some value when she came. So that was great. Uh, 
You know, we've got Liz Craig, who we've, we've been having a look at. We've had a look at a long time ago with Liz, but when she was in the back row. Yeah. She, but she's a really good player. Yeah. Uh, you know, good, good footballer, yeah. good skills, impactful. You, you know, the fact that she's gone from back row to front row and he's excelling uh, shows what a good player she is. So, you know, we've got, we got one, eye, one eye on that. Uh, and then after that, you know, we'll we'll just keep a we'll keep an eye out on other talent. That's, that's yeah, and I, I, I agree with Liz Craig. She seems, appears to me she's holding most of the fort together at, uh, at Wasps and a, yeah. and a very good human being. Um, Sarah Hunter is a, a C in front of the the C for captain uh, alongside Marley Packer. Yeah. That, that's obviously a, an eye to to the future. I know Sarah's made it very very clear she's not going to make the, the next World Cup but there is a certain game up in, in Newcastle might, might this might this be a little swan song for her with a, with a captain's arm and or co-captain's arm band on oh I don't know I mean she's like she's, she's obviously she's, she's still our captain she's uh, always will be possibly yeah 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 yeah, yeah the, the captain uh, so I think that just the decision with the, the co-captain bit was very much about you know, as you say, she, she's not going to be at the World Cup. She's going to be in the Six Nations. We know we can't play Sunder in every game in the Six Nations and every minute of every game in the Six Nations. Uh, so she, she's, we, we need, we know we're going to need another captain on the field at some point. And uh, and then again, you know, you look at the leadership group, you know, that predominant leadership group, which is Abby Ward and Sunder and uh, Scars and Marley, uh, Zoe Harrison, you know. There's not many names left in that, still standing. And to be honest, you go, well, who would you pick to go into with Six Nations? And at least, you know, we're lucky we've got Marley because she, you know, she'll lead from the front and, and that's what you want. And uh, there'll be no shortage of energy and commitment across the squad. So, so that, that's the thinking behind that. Uh, I think we, you know, I can't speak for Suns, but what, you know, I think when you get to the stage of your career that Suns is at, she, she do not look any further than probably the next training session. And she'll go from that. And while ever she feels capable of delivering to the standards that she does, she'll keep putting her hand up. But I will guarantee you, the minute she doesn't think she can do that, she'll also put her hand up. As Katie Daly and McLean did, they are the, the two very similar characters. Fantastic international, very proud, uh, but know what international rugby is about. How conscious are you to stop and enjoy every moment of this? Six Nations. Oh yeah, no, it's a good question actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really conscious. You should. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's sometimes you, you, you don't stop and think and look back because you do get so embroiled in the day to day, and there's a lot of pressure that comes with with everybody's position within the, particularly within the management group, because everybody's really fighting hard uh, to get the best product on the field that they can, and you don't have time to think. So I think sometimes it is important to stop and think. And I've, and I've done that a little bit since, since, since the World Cup, you know, you reflect back, and certainly since I made the decision that I was going to step down, I was you know, thinking back and stuff, and it's really made me, me, me smile. Uh, and, and I would love to think, when it's all done and dusted, think even deeper about it and I'll probably get some of some of uh, my old books out and things like that and, and look and probably look back through some of the records just to remind myself of some of the games we played and some of the things we did and you know right back to not just the 15s as well the 7s and being involved with that you know and, and just what I, I, I do remember when I was on the 7s when I was doing the 7s thinking 
make the most of this because this is not going to last because this is ridiculously enjoyable as and that and it was incredibly hard sevens is, is incredibly hard to play and to work as a management group but it's like you know it's i understand why players gravitate towards it you know because it's it, it's such a different type of uh lifestyle for a while and i, I, I thought to myself i enjoy this because this is not going to last uh but i always anchored to go back into the 15s and uh I don't think there's been enough occasions when I've stopped and I've really looked back and reflected and enjoyed it. But you don't get a chance when you're in the, the thick of it all. You know, you have great moments when you when you win and you have really sort of dark moments when you lose, uh, and then you you know, and then you move on to the next thing. Well, from armed policemen removing travellers and lights falling off and um, championships and coaches of the year and all the rest, of it, enjoy one last hurrah, Simon. It's uh, a pleasure as always. Yeah, cheers, Johnny. I really appreciate that. I'm Katie Dealey McLean, and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Podcast. So, speaking uh, to Simon Middleton, he is he is off. Time has gone whether it's the right decision for him to have stepped down after the World Cup. I think they didn't want to rush making a, a decision whether he was going to stay or, or go ahead of the Six Nations, that kind of stuff. So, uh, a bit of. Um, continuity and of course Lewis Deacon carries on Lou Meadows is new under 20s coach as well we should just mention that well done Lou um who are the main contenders for you Ali Donnelly to replace him and are we talking about and I know what your answer is going to be but you sometimes ask silly questions do we need the best person or do we need a female Uh, I'm gonna need the best person for sure um the thing I would say about this particular job is what a great job this will be for someone so I don't think there's a better job in women's rugby right now in, in, in terms of coaching because you've got a squad smarting from a World Cup loss and many of them young. Um, you've got the union who's invested the most in the women's game and will continue to do that. You'll have three years extra Prem 15s experience and you've got a whole World Cup at the end of it. So I think this is a job that should be widely coveted and I hope it is and I hope you know, the job ad is up and running now and it's out there. I hope that lots of great coaches get involved. And so for that reason, I think it's, you know, it's got to be the best coach. But I wrote a column for Rugby Pass last week where I talked a bit about lack of women in elite coaching roles. I actually, by complete chance, had a, had a coffee this week with Leslie McKenzie, who was over in London for for an event. And we we talked a lot about this. And I think I would love to see a woman in the coaching setup. Um, of all international teams, not just England, there are a few. I mean, Neve Briggs over in, in Ireland is brilliant, I think. You know, I love seeing her there. Great. She was a great player and turning out to be a really good coach. Because um, I think we, we need it. We need to have the diversity of thinking, the diversity of thought that women can bring. Um, and as Simon himself said, you know, very well a few weeks ago, spoke very well about the fact that England are, the England players emerging out of the Red Roses camp now have been professional for some time. And so one of the problems we've often had with, you know, female coaches is that sort of they took the game up late. They they often lacked kind of the same on the grass experience, be it as a player or as a coach, by the time they came to the end of their career. So they were kind of making up for, for years of absence. That's changed. And so I'd love to see a woman on the coaching ticket. And I think there are lots of candidates. They're obvious, aren't they? Um, Joe Yap has just done such a terrific job. With Worcester and is you know I know is hugely rated Giselle another one who always um, comes up in these conversations whether it's the right time for her I don't know you know she's just joined Ealing um, and Susie Appleby down Exeter there there are plenty of 
highly rated and good uh, women coaching in England now if England want to add to that ticket. So so I don't know <laughs> who's in the running for that, but I would say I hope there is a, a clamber on, on the door of the RFU's um, decision makers because it's a great job. You, you you would certainly like to to, to think so, but as you said, it, with new things starting and possibly people two or three years into you know, starting a, a club from from scratch, I want to see that kind of journey through. And it, international coaching, men or women, is very very different. That day to day contact with the players, which a lot of coaches, that's why they do it because it's about the player and you know, sorry about the person, not the player, and and that is totally removed international coaching. So it's it's very different. Um, yeah, I, I I would agree with you. Um, it's got got to be the right person because plenty of, of male coaches have gone into the the female game and got chewed up and, and spat out the the other way, and not in a horrible way, but just it's very different. Um, and you're constantly asked why. Um, and some coaches, yeah, sadly don't like that very much. Um, but yeah, we we will see on, on that one. Um, but yeah, all focus for those England coaches right now on the women's Six Nations. Just looking back, um, Ali, to the Prem 15s, uh, just before Christmas announced that uh, Worcester and Zale Sharks um, were in limbo for a couple of months. Now it's been announced they have got their police for the uh, next Premier 15s cycle uh, alongside Ealing and Leicester. Bizarre way for me that that was, that, that was done. Really, really odd. Um, but Worcester now secured playing at six ways, despite what goes on with the men's. Uh, the sailor, I think I got the sense they push back slightly uh, on what they're being asked to do and probably beyond their remit. And now there's going to be some extra support sort of spreading the word of, of Northern rugby up, up there. Just your thoughts around that and the, and the, the new composition, of course, wasps um, fall by that wayside and DMP, a club wasp um, that you have a, a large part of your heart out. Yeah. I'm, I'm really sad for wasps. And I also saw firsthand, some of the work that was going on behind the scenes to try and raise the money that they needed. And they were trying extremely hard and, you know, just fell short in the end. And, you know, it's it's gutting for them because, you know, the connection to the men's squad is what, what did for them in the end, because they were obviously reliant on that. And I think it's just a really harsh reminder of the financial reality of our sport. And, you know, the women's game has got to be careful uh, that it, you know, finds a way to be sustainable and nothing they could do about that, of course, because of the way the setup worked. So I'm sad about that. I'm thrilled for Worcester. Um, You know, I also saw a little bit of what was going on there through my role at Sports England because we were part of the sports survival package situation that happened and, and was part of the, you know, the club and what went on there in the end. So I know there was huge amounts of work that nobody is seeing publicly to, to get, you know, the investment that they needed and to get back playing at six ways. And yeah, we gotta have teams um in the Midlands and the north of England. So so great to to see Sale there. Sad for DMP, perhaps that felt somewhat inevitable. Um, but yeah, look, it'll be a really fascinating uh future for this league. I think Belinda Moore coming in as chief execs, brilliant. She's got great commercial acumen, obviously lives in a very yeah, rugby loving household. Um, which is neither here nor there, but she'll definitely be taking her work home, I'm sure. Um, so she'll be thinking about it constantly. I think she'll be great. And I'm just excited to see what this new organisation will deliver. At the same time here in England, of course, we're seeing the WSL and football really accelerate away. I know the RFU have worked fairly closely with, with the FA and with those involved in the WSL to have a look at 
how and what they developed when. So there is a model here to follow and just excited to see what happens. A bit more coming in, um, obviously with a broadcast background as well, uh, European tours and she, um, so yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the key, key bit for, for, for me, but, um, yeah, but very exciting times, and we we will get some reaction from from Ealing and Leicester in the coming weeks, uh, months as we move into that new cycle. Just to get you up to date, round twelve done and dusted in the uh, Premier Fifteens. Exeter top for the first time ever. Well done, Susie Appleby, and not lost since round one against Gloucester Hartbury. The uh, front runners, as they were, Gloucester Hartbury, just one point behind, having lost to Saris, the champions last weekend. Sarri's nine points off Gloucester Hartbury, uh, four of them Harlequins. Bristol still in the hunt. Worcester sells solid mid-table after good results from both. But a lot for Lightning, um, and a, I'm not surprised, but only three wins for them. And huge credit to DMP who got their first win and then backed it up with another over Wasps, who are a shell of the former club that we knew and many loved. Let's move over to... The homeland, <laughs> Ali Donnelly, over to Ireland. Six Nations squad announced by Greg McWilliams, 32 players and a wider squad of 12. We'll sort of come back to that. Um, fairly standard stuff, usual faces. Um, Emma Sword seemed to have attracted a bit of attention in that squad. Yeah, she's obviously, um, you know, she wants to play international rugby and now she has an opportunity with Ireland. So, Good for her, I say. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, the reason we say that is that Emma was on the Wales squad, uh, Wales Association squad last season. Um, Friday captains the side again. The reason I'm mentioning that in new appointments, Alana Gattiger joins the national team manager, while well, Emma Brennan appointed the uh, performance nutritionist. And with the contracts uh, back in November 2029 of them, Inverted yep. commas. Um, and now this full management, I, I noted on the press release, there was a full management under, under the, the squad and this wider squad of 12. Are Ireland finally getting the picture? Um, I hope so, but there are still question marks, I think. So, you know, 2022 was a roller coaster year for Ireland on and off the field following, you know, all those issues emerging at the end of 2021. You know, they had a very up and down Six Nations last year. You know, you'll remember the very bad result against England up in Leicester. And but they salvaged something on the final day, stopped themselves finish, finishing bottom. They beat Scotland. If you can cast your thoughts back a year, last play of the match, beat Scotland. Then they went to Japan, you know, big moment, autumn tour. They've not done that before. Great win. Then a really disappointing loss. The contracts came in. New High Performance Centre in Dublin. Great, sort of, if you believe in centralisation. And then they had to watch the World Cup from home. So <laughs> there's there's just it was a very up and down year. I think there are so there are lots of things to be positive about. I'm a big fan of Greg McWilliams. I think he's a guy who believes in culture and um he's a good coach and people speak very highly of him. So I you know, I, I hope he, you know he goes and does great things, not just because I'm Irish, because he's a he's a good person. Um that said, there are lots of questions from people in the know at home about the system, the structure, the way in which they've enacted the changes, lots of investment, as you attested to. Uh the strategy is a bit puzzling, you know, everybody being based in Dublin. If you look at the squad, I think there's just three who play outside of Dublin or abroad. Uh, you know, we've got a small pool of players as it is. 
is that the right thing to do to sort of you know pull everyone away from from the rest of the country i think you always need a vibrant sort of domestic league around the country the same conversation we just had about northern rugby here so yes things are getting better but there are definitely some question marks about how they are doing things it feels a bit to me like david nusafor and others are looking at the way in which they run the sevens program for the women's game and thinking that that is the way to do it uh we'll see um all i want is ireland to be at the next world cup so <laughs> i'll be rooting for them of, of course you would yeah couldn't agree more with the greg mcwilliams analysis um tremendous fella why people looking back why didn't those players grab those those contracts the likes of you know, nicola friday yeah, look, you'd have to ask the individuals themselves, but collectively, you know, what I hear is a lot of players don't want to live in Dublin. It's extremely expensive. It's just as expensive as London. And actually, you know, just to talk to the Irish, you know, society at the moment, it's really difficult to rent or buy there. I mean, renting is, you know, whether you're in Dublin or not, incredibly expensive and very few. Um, there are actually very few opportunities to do that. So it's not an ideal place to suddenly uproot and move to. And second, the salaries pretty low uh, and you combine those two things I think people felt um, some people felt they didn't want to do that and for others the opportunity to play in England where the league is just better I think right now anyway uh, it's hard to turn down if you're in your mid-20s and you're able to uproot and move over here and you don't have to move to London uh, where it's expensive as well why wouldn't you do that so uh, yeah lots of reasons for it and as I say this sort of Dublin-centric focus uh, whether that lasts forever, I don't know. But um, yeah, but yeah, it would have been better to see all of the squad playing in Ireland. But then, you know, as I've often pointed out, which I just think is unbelievable to this day, you know, the Welsh squad at the World Cup, none of them play their rugby in Wales. So, <laughs> you know, this this is happening around the place. I know the Irish setup wants to wants to have the players at home. So, whether that will change, I don't know. But on the on the field, the uh, inter pros uh, have been going on all televised. Munster yep. dominated one all three against Connor Ulster and second place Leinster. It was a good old game that Munster against Leinster. And also in terms of development, again, it's a new thing. Uh, I think we, 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 we're trying to put a positive light on it. That Celtic Cup, the Welsh Scottish yep. Irish unions, um, sort of development player kind of um, sort of round robin. Um, and it was the combined provinces Irish who uh, who won through another positive sort of step, some some combination different from the men's game. Actually, unions and organisations talking to each other, organising stuff together for the greater good. I think it was great, and I think for Ireland, their combined provinces team to win all their games will have been a really big boost, and actually given Greg an opportunity to see to see some players he hasn't seen before. I mean. I wasn't actually that surprised that Ireland did well. Ireland is a country of of great athletes. It's just a lot of our very talented women are playing Gaelic games. They're playing GA and they're playing football and the very, very good and willing to travel, you know, players from that crop end up in Australia playing football, you know, playing AFL and, and all the rest of it. So so we've got access to great athletes. So widening the pool and finding more opportunities to play can only be a good thing. You see it in our seven squad. How good is Amy Lee Murphy Crook, for example? Uh, we we've got the athletes. It's really just about finding a way in which to get them playing rugby and giving them opportunities. Like long gone are the days where you know the Irish girls would play the Six Nations and you wouldn't see sight nor sound of them again till the next year. So I think the combined provinces team was a really positive thing. 
Yeah, it's got to be attractive, right? You've got to attract players to it when, when you're when you're fighting for it. And we'll, we'll have a we look at Australia uh, in a minute, but just make it attractive because other sports will snap these people up. The other thing I was just going to talk to you about, Ali, was a bit of a coaches merry-go-round. We're going to look at uh, Italy, Sweden, France, um, Australia as well. Uh, but we'll start with France. Gavin Yeo and David Ortiz taking the reins um, after the legend uh, here all as. Uh, Stepped away. It'll be very, very weird um, without her knocking uh, around. Um, one of the stars on the grass walks away after five years, owning two World Cup bronze medals and a Grand Slam in 2018 and a couple of decent wins over the Black Ferns in that time as well. They've also announced their Six Nations squad and as well as her stepping away, the likes of Sefi and Di, Lawson, Sue, Ferrer, Mayans, all retired. Um, so again, a bit of a turning of the page in, in, in France, your reactions to... Yeah, look, it's, it's post-World Cup. That, that's what happens. You know, lots of coaches change, players retire because the next cycle just, you know, is, is, is too much. It's a shorter cycle this time, of course. So slightly less flux than normal, I think, this year. Um, yeah, I mean, A-Road is, was an amazing coach, but also an amazing player. So I think she'll she'll be very missed as a as someone in the tracksuit, either playing or, or on the touchline, as you said. Uh, and always willing to, you know, give her opinion and, and give her viewpoint. Very French in that respect. Uh, you know, no respect for the establishment. Very happy to come out and say when something wasn't right. So I think I think we enjoyed that. Great to see Gail Minot get her get her a chance. Uh, she's obviously been coaching for quite some time now and, and did it here. I think when she played at Richmond, she was she was doing some coaching here. Um, France. I mean, they're so they're so so French, right? So they go to the, they go to the World Cup. Everyone's unsure about how they'll do. They didn't play a great, weren't playing brilliant style of rugby one kick away from World Cup final then. <laughs> you know, you, that's just what they're like. And I think they'll relish the opportunity to come to Twickenham in the final round of the competition. Looks like we're going to have that world record crowd. I hope they do it. I think they will. They're at 35,000 already. Doesn't seem like a huge stretch to get five more. Uh, although <laughs> maybe the marketing team there uh, would disagree with me. But um, I, I think that'd be great to watch this year. Pressure's off. And that's often when France play their best rugby. Yeah, 100%. Um a little bit less positive news around USA uh, and Sweden. Um, Rob Kane stepped away from USA, uh, as did uh, Claire Crookshank, who's now involved in the, those uh, so that, that Celtic Cup, the, the, the Scottish side of the thistles. But both just stepping away, saying that their ambition is not matched by the unions. Really sad. Um, I, I guess we're talking that money is is nipped into sevens and Olympic sports rather than the fifteens. Yeah, and, and the money that goes into sevens comes from a different avenue altogether in most countries. It will come from the high performance organisations like we've got UK Sport here as the equivalent, although I don't think they do fund sevens. So it's a bad example, but you know they, the money streams are different. And so the 15s programmes in countries like that are relying on their union to invest it, to raise it and invest it. And USA is not a huge rugby nation, as we know. I know the World Cup is coming there and that will make a difference. I mean, I think it's back, you know, back to our haves and have nots conversation at the, at the top of this, about Lions. We've, you know, let, let's integrate that conversation. Have a Lions tour that benefits the country that it goes to. So it may, you know, I couldn't see it going myself to America, wouldn't make enough money. Uh, have a Lions tour go to New Zealand or France. These are countries that are doing relatively well from an investment perspective. They would do even better if you host a Lions tour. You do pretty well. If you if you are a home union, you do okay. You make some money. So is that is that the right thing, or should we be looking at opportunities to make sure that the likes of USA and Sweden are not left even further behind? 
So, I, I, you know, the, these are the these are the contexts in which these conversations should be happening. Um, you would hope the, a country like the USA with a World Cup coming will be able to secure the kind of commercial investment and extra support from World Rugby that might really help the women's game. Um, but yeah, I'm sure Rob's disappointed. I haven't caught up with him since um, that announcement. But 15s and 7s on very different tracks there. And um, yeah, it's sad because you want people to try, you know, to have the opportunity to get the best possible um, you know, out, out of their time with a team. And if they can, through no fault of their own, that's always sad, I think. Yeah, and I, and I think, yeah, WXC is, of course, going to help the amount of rugby that's being played. But, yeah, the, the Rugby Europe Women's Championship has just taken place. And, yeah, Spain absolutely wiped the floor, um, yeah, with Sweden and, and the Netherlands. And, yeah, Sweden are back there the first time for 10 years and Tamara Taylor's interim coach and all the rest of it. But that's not healthy. It's 90 points to three. Yeah, quite extraordinary, and and again, it's that low, that level below the haves, the tier ones that that, that we really need to to concentrate for for my money, and World Rugby needs to concentrate on as well. Yeah, and and that's where the WXV will obviously help significantly because it will give guaranteed test matches to teams who just can't get access to them. And poor Spain, you know, they could be a great team, and they are always stymied by lack of. Um, well, lack of funding is one problem for them, but but lack of ability to, you know, they're in Europe. They should be able to relatively cheaply get across to play games, but, um, you know, they're shut out of the Six Nations. They're too good for that European uh, championship level. So, yeah, you know, World Rugby know this, right? And that's why the WXV has been, been set up. And it's also been set up to make sure we have a competitive expanded World Cup next time. You know, nobody wants... 2025 is going to be amazing for the game. I do not doubt for a second that the RFU World Rugby will put on a great World Cup here. Um, but we don't want cricket scores, you know, that that's that's what we want to avoid. So that's also one of the kind of performance objectives of the WXV. But, you know, Sweden are always going to struggle because they're not a nation which traditionally attracts lots of investment into rugby. Um, Spain maybe have an opportunity to do a bit more. Any Premier 15s coaches out there that listen to this, Claudia Peña, Spanish fullback. Honestly, get her signed up. Fabulous. Absolutely brilliant. Um, staying with us, so the Latins, uh, Italy, Giovanni Ranieri has been appointed as, uh, what are these, any relation to Claudio? Um, good coaching stock. New uh, it- Italian women's coach following Andrea, stepping away 13 years, he was. Again, just part of that uh, that World Cup cycle, isn't it? He's uh, he's a Test player, so he's been there and done it. Got a got a handful of caps, um, and he's been doing the under 18s But um, yeah, he needs to to push Italy on. I'm guessing. Yeah, and I think it'll be hard this year, no matter how good a coach he is, because they've lost such big talent. You know, Furlan's gone, Barrison's gone, Batoni's gone, Magashi's gone. These are. You know, the, you know, Furlan and Barrison on their own used to win Italy matches, you know, and uh, obviously Ragoni as well, one of their stars. But those are four big players. Andre's got, you know, he leaves very big boots to fill. I know they're going to be working together and, and um, Ranieri's talked a bit about how he's been helping him. But I, I think it may be rocky for a little while for them. Um, and he would recognise that you can't lose, you know, a very small, you know, maybe shallow in depth and experienced squad losing those four is going to be tough, but um, he's got time. You know, people are not going to expect him to work wonders in his first year. Indeed, he's not. Let's go to Australia. The Wallaroos are going to be helped out by Eddie Jones. Do you like that? 
Well, it depends on what he actually does or if that's just a bit of PR. I don't know. I haven't spoken to anyone there since he was appointed, but can't be a bad thing. The man is extremely experienced coach. And, you know, whatever your thoughts on him, I know that all the players would say, you know, he's he's a fantastic coach. And, and uh, you know, when he left, I thought it was interesting that lots of England players were very public in their sadness at his departure, whatever their results. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. And, and also, of course, Wayne Smith and other very different people, but his involvement with Blackburn is so positive, as was Graham Henry's, that, yeah, it's just why not have your most experienced coach in your whole country who's being paid lots of money, presumably, uh, lend a hand to your women's team and and, and offer some advice there. So, yeah, let, let's see what he does, though. Uh, and exactly over the, you know, over the same in uh, in South Africa, Razi Erasmus, you're fully involved. I know your great friend, Lynn Campwell, um, taps into to his knowledge. And absolutely, why not? Why, why wouldn't you? Um, I was not just, yeah, as you say, a PR stunt, but uh, Jay Trepanning, who has resigned as the head coach. Um, hopefully, we'll have those positive conversations with Eddie. But the big news coming out of Australia was the announcement of contracts for their players. Uh, we'll react after the lady who's been fulcrum in getting that over the line. Jilly Collins, the head of women's rugby in Australia. I spoke to her last week. It is a very good morning, good evening uh, to Jilly Collins, the general manager of women's rugby at Rugby Australia. Jilly, thank you so much for, for joining us. I know it's late there, um, but felt we needed to to get you on um, after last week's news. Um, first of all, most importantly, how are you? Are you you're well, buoyant? Yeah, very well, thank you. Just um, had our evening meal and good to be chatting women's rugby before I go to bed. There you are. Well, I suspect you chat women's rugby uh, morning, noon and night, uh, even pre-breakfast. Yeah. But yeah, as I say, going on due to the news last week, um, for those Brits and UK listeners over here, if, if they haven't heard the news, what was the, the latest, most exciting development that happened with Rugby Australia last week? Yeah, we had some great news, which was um, extra special because we were able to do it at Kirribilli House, which is, I guess, the equivalent of 10 Downing Street. So we had a morning with the Prime Minister here um, announcing a big increase investment into our women's rugby programmes, particularly in the 15s game, um, increasing our contract value to our Wallaroos, so our top Australian 15s players, and also more investment, importantly, as well into our Super W competition, which is our domestic national competition so the equivalent of prem 15s um in australia but what what a swanky event it was it certainly seemed like it the, the sun was shining best bib and tucker um i mean that 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 is huge huge news um where exactly is that investment in, in terms of proportions can, can you give us that detail in terms of the national team and, and building up the, the club uh scene with the uh with the w rugby yeah sure so it's probably worth saying, I mean, the, the journey of the Wallaroos has been, it's the, we've been a pretty dominant dormant team, should I say, um, until 2018, where there was a genuine desire and intention to invest more into that team, um, play more test matches, because we weren't really playing test match footy between Rugby World Cups. And so we've been on a pretty short um, but quick journey um, and have increased investment over the last few years significantly you know, millions more into those programs, investing more into our players. But this announcement was the biggest next step forward around player contracting. So, you know, our, our, our top level Wallaroos players now 
on on a sort of part-time professional contract will earn up to about $60,000. So a really good step in the right direction for our top players. Um, and and it's, it's probably worth noting that we've delivered this system really well for over a decade in our seven space. So our seven players have been professionals since 2013. Um, and I'd say are the best, you know, one of the best played, paid rugby, women's rugby teams in the world. So that, that program has been in place, really effective, delivered us amazing results um, over the last 10 years. So it was recognised we needed to do more in the 15 space. Um, and we have been doing at some pace um, since 2018 and the introduction of Super W um, as a national competition. And then, yeah, Wallaroo. So this year, I think we'll be playing eight test matches you know, it's our biggest ever test match season outside of a rugby world cup. And it's, uh, it's all very exciting and what we're calling in Australia, the golden decade of rugby and for the women's game leading 15th game leading to a home rugby world cup in 29, which is, you know, you can't get any more exciting than that. No, it, indeed not. Um, kind of touched on on my, my next question or certainly I, something I wanted to touch on, uh, being as long in the tooth as I am, I, I've been involved in a, in a few world cups and, I remember commenting on, on Australia and, and trying to do some research and, and the games they played in between World Cups and couldn't find it. I thought, that's ridiculous. And I literally hadn't played any games. What, why that sea change? And you, and you say you've been doing it on the sevens. Was it just global pressure or there's an opportunity here? What, what, why the change? Because it, it's, not just a, it's not just a small token. This seems like a, a, a proper launch pad to, to sustainability of women's rugby in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I came into role in 2018 here, and one of the things um, that was very obvious is more needed to be done in the 15 space. So that was one of the key priorities, and it was supported by our board and chief executive then. So that gave me the platform to start the momentum to get, you know, this this Wallaroos dormant um, um uh, team sort of up and running and, and all systems go with it over the last few years. So it's um, it was the right time in Australia to do it. There was also, from a world rugby perspective, you know the global direction that's being world rugby are pushing in the 15s game and the increased investment globally. So it's it would you know the WXV and all of that. You know the investment in the women's game that comes at a great time for us as well because there's there's a genuine desire globally and the investment globally as well to do that. So um, there's lots of things that aligned at the right time. And and as you say, I mean, a team that didn't play between World Cups, it's just incredible. I, I think I remember, what, what, how many caps did Sarah Hunter finish up with at the World Cup? 135. Yeah, so when we played her, or when we played the Red Roses in the quarterfinal, I think we were game 66. And she was playing 135 games. So you can yeah. see where, yeah, so there was a bit of a, bit of a difference but hey we drew a line in the sand and said enough's enough and you know we're now heading in the right direction did you have many hurdles julie oh uh, yeah i mean it's an interesting one it's not easy i mean the money's got to come from somewhere um and our board and rugby australia and there's been a lot of in you know investment um we definitely moved past the argument of you know we're not generating the money so therefore the women can't get paid there's absolute recognition that investment was required now to reap long-term returns both from a high performance and and revenue and business 
model perspective. So um, there is, you know, getting an understanding and appreciation of that. And I think that's the whole women's sports movement overall, right? A recognition that it doesn't happen overnight. You need to invest genuinely into it. Um, and we're still, you know, going through that um, process and working out whether, you know, if we're going to step up again into professional contracts, if if our Super W competition is going to expand, you know, you're talking millions and millions more. So, you know, that money's got to come from somewhere. So, you know, we're, we're, we're um, the, the financial the financial side of things is always a challenge. And I think that's, you know, prob- you could probably say that's the same for every um, uh, union in the world that's trying to accelerate the development of their women's game. Yeah, that is a it, it is a big hurdle to get over that. Bring in the money because, well, well the men's game didn't bring in money for the first, well, arguably the men's money, men's game still doesn't, certainly club rugby doesn't bring in money. Money now, the, the issues are over here in England with the with the men's clubs uh, and what have you. You say you just, just finished uh, supper there. Have you had a, a moment to, to open up a bottle of fizz and, and look in the mirror and say, well done me? Um. Yeah, it's um you it's should be very my, proud. Yeah, and and um there's you know, it's um been a it's been a really rewarding few years here and there's lots of people behind the scenes that have been working really, really hard to do that. Adrian Thompson, who I work um hand in hand with at Rugby Australia, who oversees the high performance programs for the Wallaroos, you know, working tirelessly and I could name countless others that have done so. It's it's more as opposed to me opening up a box bottle of fizz it's, you want to be around a big table in a pub and everybody do do a big cheers so it's um it's great to see we're heading in the right direction there's certainly lots more to do but um yeah it's uh it's it's really rewarding to see it from a player's perspective more than anything i'd say just to see some of these players now going to be able to reach their full potential which is just you know it's exciting Exciting and possibly scary for the rest of the world because uh, performances in World Cups with zero preparation um, are quite extraordinary. Um, that comes with pressure then. So the the targets in this golden generation, you say that you've got World Cups coming up and, uh, and all the rest of it on, on, on home soil. What, what are the expectations? Are there got to do this, got to do this, got to do this? Or is it a, a sort of generic organic process? Yeah, it's... it's um... There's definitely been an education piece here around actually, yes, whilst we are investing now, the whole world is investing. So actually the bar is going to raise everywhere um, across the world. It's not just going to happen in Australia. Um, So um, that being said, there's an absolute, you know, I know the KPIs for the next few few years and that we want a top four finish in in 25 in England and we want to be in the Rugby World Cup final in 29. Um, you know, that's absolutely, you know, the ambition and and um, recognition that the investment is required if we're going to, you know, hit those targets because, you know, it's uh, it's certainly a competitive space in that Rugby World Cup now. And with 16 teams coming in from 25, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be, oh, I mean, it's so exciting, right? It's going to be red hot competition. Certainly, is the the smile on your face um, while you're while you're depicting those things um, kind, kind of says it all. Um, no, I'm, I'm yeah. We'll, we'll we'll kind of just ended up with one final 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 thought and final question. I just I just because you, to 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 do these things that that's one thing, but you've got to get the momentum behind you. And you know, we saw in in New Zealand um, with the World Cup, yeah, you know, a huge amount of those people at the World Cup final were watching women's rugby for for the first time. Um, 
what they've done off the back of it. Entirely sure, but um, and and use that sort of power and energy. But is there a swell? Is there a, a growing amongst boys, girls? We see it here. You know, we watch Premier Fifteens games. There's young boys, there's young girls. Is there a swell? Yeah, are you feeling? You know, no, I suspect you go around the country. Is there a swell for for women's sport and, and in particular women's rugby? Um, on the women's sport side of things, first of all, absolutely. Australia is amazing if you look at it as a um, an ecosystem for the development of women's sport at pace. You have now what we call um, footy codes. So there's probably about five different footy codes. Ironically, none of them are football. Football's actually soccer over here. But you've got rugby league, rugby union, um, seven fifteens. You've got AFL, which is effectively um, with the same shape ball. There, you can all genuinely be professional. You know. Earn really good money as a, a woman in those sports. You've got soccer that is um, really successful, cricket. Um, so it's uh, yeah, the opportunities for young girls in this in this country to become high level professional women's sports team sports players is is really exciting. So you definitely see that movement. You know there is so much on free to wear and um, and pay TV women's sport, which is great. And it's talked about in, you know, you hear it more on when, you know, you, you wrap up in your radio sports bulletins more and more, you know, about women's sports as well as men's sports. So that's great. Um, we know in rugby, we're a bit of a sleeping giant that needs to get back on that journey. And, you know, mentioned the 29 World Cup, but we've also got the men's 27 World Cup. We've got British and Irish Lions in 25. So, why we're genuinely calling it a golden decade for rugby across women's and men's because we've got now the best chance to kind of wake up Australia to rugby again because we have been quiet for a few years. What an awesome ambassador you are for the, <laughs> the ARU. Uh, saying all the way. I think I look. I think it's an, a, an absolute triumph, as you say. We we know how competitive that sporting market is in Australia. Um, and yeah, I, I wasn't going to be crude enough to, to say where has the, the cash come from. Um, but um, look, I think it's, it's amazing you, you've secured it. And um, it's been really, really nice to talk to you. And I shall let you go back to, stop talking about women's rugby for a couple of hours and, and let you get some sleep, Jelly. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Jolly. Nice chat. I'm Shani Williams and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Podcast. It really is fabulous news, isn't it, Ali? More contracts. I mean, we could talk about the detail and how much they are and how exactly how they work, but I think I know you well enough to to, to say that we, we both agree that it's a step forward, whether it's fully the right step and it's fully down or, or whatever, but, but it's still a step forward and that has to be celebrated. Yeah, and you're also creating an environment and era in which players being paid to play women's rugby is the norm. And that's very important because it also shows those who might want to invest or we might want to encourage to invest in the game, whether it's, you know, brands or it's private investor, whoever it is, uh, that the game is valuable and has value. So for often, for too long, women's rugby has has often been seen by both unions and others as, as something that just cost money <laughs> and not something that was, you know, an investment for the future. And so I think when people see that there are professional women's players, there's an opportunity to, you know, be paid to play and be an employee. 
and then that changes the 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 way in which you look at something it looks valuable it feels valuable it feels like something unions are not just seeing as a drain but actually something to invest in so it's important for the players obviously from a performance perspective but very important from an external um perspective to help us to kind of turn the turn turn the corner on on bringing money into the sport uh, these days, lots of, as we know, Australia probably more than anywhere else, a huge amount of pressure on the athletes themselves because there's so many sports and, you know, rugby league, you know, just had some investment put into it. So it's really, really important. But but I think, yeah, it, if Australia don't do it now with Lion Series, you know, rugby as a whole, Lion Series, Men's World Cup, Women's World Cup, you know, they've already announced some home tests. Who would have thought that, you know, they're playing test rugby in between World Cups and even at home, Fiji, uh, 20th of May and New Zealand, 29th of, of June. Again, a bit like um, the Irish and, and, and I asked you earlier on, but it seems like the penny has finally dropped in, in Australia. I think there's a realisation, isn't there? And we do have England to thank for this a bit, much as an Irish person finds that hard to say. 100%, yeah. Uh, yeah. If, you know, if you, if you don't get on board now, the train's gone. And you're going to be like 10 stations behind. So it's a terrible analogy, but you know exactly what I mean. <laughs> and it, I always, I mean, Ireland and England are the best examples of this, where uh, the Irish set up and the chief exec announced lots and lots of changes at the end of 2021, early 2022, in response to that player's letter. He said at the time, you know, contract, we're not looking at contracts just yet. And the, the players didn't ask for that. We need to get other things right. And then just a few months later, contracts. And that's because they could see through the Six Nations that they were just falling too far behind. And so they had to get the players together, get the players training consistently and resting in the right way. So, uh, yeah, I think there is a, just a general vibe of it's only going in one direction here. And that domino effect is, is you know, it, it's been well and truly sort of knocked. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, they got to get on board. And Australia, as we always say, they could they could be so good. You know, when they went when they went way ahead of New Zealand in, the, in that opening World Cup match, you're like, wow, this is, you know, the shock of the World Cup. And they fell away and you kind of think actually with more game time, with more access to high performance training and strength and conditioning and rest, uh, they're probably not, you know, giving up that big lead. They, they'll be right in those contests till the end. So I can't wait to see, how, you know, how they come here in 2025 and how far they advance with this investment. Yeah, and a couple of Australians ripping it up in their Premier 15s, aren't they? Um, at Harlequins. Over the Tasman, Super Rugby Al Picky kicked off a second season last weekend. Matter two beat the Blues and Tees Manoa won at the Hurricanes. As the reaction to what was a uh, an incredibly successful World Cup for, for many different reasons, has the NZRU kicked on in your eyes, Ali? Sounds like it. You know, there are lots of um, lots of kind of new resources being put into the game there. I think Alan Bunting's a great pick as head coach. You know, I talked to Alice Soper a lot, who's obviously very plugged into the game there and, she, you know, cautiously optimistic. Um, obviously, the, the Super Rugby competition is small. There's not, you know, there's not loads of teams in it. But last year was obliterated by COVID. So the most positive thing about that getting off the ground is it got off the ground and it will only, you know, it'll only grow from here. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think for, you know, the World Cup, there was a real success. And I was definitely one of the more, du- I was at the more dubious end of whether it would be, um, not just because they sold the tickets very well, but because they won. And when you win a big rugby competition and you're a New Zealand team, the country gets behind you and you can see it if you follow all their stories and their the content that they both the, the players put out and the union put out when they travel around the country the getting heroes welcomes everywhere and those things make huge huge differences 
And the knock-on impact is the unions see it, see the opportunity and start to kind of up their game a bit. So yeah, looking very positive there, I think, with with work to do, as ever. Um, it's almost like she, she writes um, for multiple websites about women's rugby, because you yeah, wrote the, uh, chipped a little bit of my script out there, yeah, Alan Bunting. Uh, chosen as the uh, new Black Ferns head coach, and uh, yeah, I think that's a, a a good decision from from those in the know. You being one of them. To finish up some results and fixtures from around the world in France, the Elite One Pool One, Stade Bordelais lead the way with seven from their eight games. Montpellier lie in second with Toulouse in third. Blagnac top pool two with eight from eight. Grenoble in second. ASA Rugman out, which is Clermont in third. Rugby Europe Women's Championship, as we mentioned, Spain, Netherlands and Sweden aside to win their sixth consecutive title. Good to see Sweden back at that level. Spain, the Liga Ibadora, which uh, is back this weekend after a little short break. Cocos top the pile, 10 points clear of Mahardona, El Salvador and San Guat occupy the other top four spots. In the world of sevens, New Zealand have now won three in a row, backing up their title in Cape Town by lifting trophies in Sydney and New Zealand. It's Vancouver for the girls this weekend. Pacific Four, New Zealand, Canada, USA and Australia returns with WXV qualification on the line. Spain, Australia and Canada confirm as hosts. All gets underway on the 1st of April. Would be remiss if we didn't do a couple of shout-outs that monster victory over Leinster was still with an engagement. Monster forward Clodo O'Halloran proposed to teammate Chloe Pierce seven years after meeting at provincial training. Many congrats. Huge shout out to Claire Stevens, mum of two, who's been turning out for wasps. We think that may well be a first as well. Reward for a decade of service at Abbey RFC. Chloe Edwards, first Harlequins player to hit 100 games for the club. What a great servant she's been. Langy Tweema hit 50 as well. Got to wish Zoe Harrison a speedy recovery. Fiona Coughlin, big shout out to you. Legend on the field, legend on the mic as well. Inducted into the Island Hall of Fame. And finally, after some delay from uh, an Instagram message, the Reynolds family. Hannah, thank you for your kind words and we hope you found some new shorts. The barefaced cheek of it all. Also a big hello to the kids, Ben and Chloe who are new to rugby. Ali, that has been absolutely fantastic. A whistle-stop tour around the world. But you, unlike me, have a, a proper job to, to get back to. Um, but I will say a huge, huge thank you very, very much for, for coming on and, and all your thoughts as ever. Um, probably can make this a, a, a regular thing, like an Ali Donnelly corner or something. Nice. But anyway, thank you so much. Really appreciate your thoughts. And um, sure, join everyone, I would say. Wish you all the best with the uh, with the new job. Poot poot. <laughs> Thanks, Johnny. A pleasure. I've got to tell you about our live show. Exciting news. Friday the 28th of April at a Cabbage Patch in Twickenham. We'll be going live ahead of that final round, the England-France game at Twickenham the next day. That promises to be a brilliant evening. We'll have some special guests we get some prizes going and all the rest of it. So keep an eye on our social channels. If you haven't already, at Pod Women's Rugby, do subscribe. Tell your mates about it. We are back now all the way through to the end of the season. 
see you next week.